Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Wonder Woman 1984, starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, story by Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns, screenplay by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, and Dave Callahan, and directed by Patty Jenkins. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Welcome to 2021. Bourbon spillage by Matt Dixon. <laughs> so we just took a bath with some bourbon, and we were shocked that that has never happened before. In 101-ish episodes, we'd never had a spill. <laughs> Reaching for the bottle to see what the proof was, and Jesse's now wearing bourbon. <laughs> it's all good. It's, I didn't get a lot on me. But starting 2021 with a look back at 2020, and this is the 2020 catch-up casks. Looking back at some films that were released or planned to be released in the year 2020 that we just didn't get to get, didn't get to um, because they weren't released or because of the streaming method. But we got a big one on Christmas Day, Wonder Woman 1984. Um, it's available to stream on HBO Max, which you can check out for about a month, uh, probably about 20, 20-ish days now. But yeah, let's kind of get right into it. Uh, as Matt said, we, we spilled some bourbon, but we're um, dabbling into a new bourbon uh, today. This one's Balcones Texas Pots, Pot Still Bourbon. So this is uh, the first time trying this one, and we're kind of starting at their base model. This is kind of just the, their regular bourbon that they do, and they do a lot of different single malts and single barrels and blue corn, and they, get, they experiment with it a little bit. But let's just try this one to kind of see what we think about it. There's a very interesting second half to that. I can't tell. It's not sweet, um, hearty, and earthy, and I'm not sure what that is. I'd say corn, but I know better. It's not corn. So we're supposed to smell notes of honey crisp apples, toasted oak, kettle corn, maybe some graham cracker. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely get the honey and graham cracker. I think that's what that is there and at the a, back end. A, t- a taste of honey, sweet cream, pecans, sandalwood, or leather. I'm yeah, that's up, there. You go. I'm picking up leather too. Me too. Interesting. What a nice bourbon, mm-hmm. Balconis. That's about a thirty dollar bottle, so nothing, wow. nothing too outrageous. When you get into their special releases, then the price goes up, obviously. But, but not bad. So before we get into the flight, um, did you spend any time with the college football playoffs yesterday? Uh, no, I'm, I've been pretty disconnected from it, but I keep up with the scores. Yeah, because um, I know Brett's going to listen. Yeah, tonight. I think it's 7 o'clock, Brett, U.S. versus Slovakia and the IIHF quarters. It's Tec- hockey. Text Matt. <laughs> Text me, Brett. We'll chat. It's been a while. But before, we do have some a bit of uh, housekeeping to do uh, this week. Our uh, question of which town would you have liked to have lived in mm. was a really big one. Good. And we got responses from... Steve or Hay now, who says either Pleasantville or Mayberry. My dad would have loved to have lived in Mayberry with Andy Griffith. Pleasantville is a lot of truth in that town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two Chicks in a Whore Flick podcast said uh, Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Track Listing podcast said Santa Carla, 100%, and then put three saxophone emojis. So the Lost Boys. Yep. Uh, Eddie's underscore video said Stand By Me, uh, Castle Rock. And then Forgotten Cinema Pod also said Castle Rock. But to all you uh, Castle Rock loyalists, we also did a poll this week on Instagram. Where would you rather live? 55% Castle Rock, 
45% Twin Peaks. So all you weirdos, you 45% weirdos that want to go with me to Twin Peaks and get weird, let's go. So <laughs> We'll see you there. <laughs> we'll see you there. And you're going to love this, Matt. Uh, I always love hearing from from our fans, our, the, the long responses. And we got a response from our friend Joey Maybile this week. Mr. Uh, Texas Chainsaw. Yes, uh, who has given us some uh, just feedback on finally listened to our Black Christmas episode. And he loves it just because he loves slasher flicks and 70s in general and had heard about this film and only recently watched it is what, what, he, what he said. But uh, thought we did a, a really cool job about how we described Billy as not necessarily rooting for the killer. And then there's nothing really to like about the Billy character. It's raw, it's brutal, it's ugly, unrelenting. Mm -hmm. And the ambiguity as the final credits rolled was something he really liked. And he told us to say uh, that there's an interesting history about the house that they filmed in to Google that and check it out. So cool. we're going to have to do that. Also to everybody out there, two days after, Happy New Year. Yes. Joey to you, Jesse to you, Happy New Year, everybody. And I got to tell you, mm -hmm. I was a little lukewarm on that movie. And have been for a number of years. What a good choice you made there. That we have had a ton of discussion around Black Christmas, haven't we? Whether it's yeah. Mark or Joey or just between us and yeah. some other messages. Yeah, that was quite the uh, was quite good, the interesting show. It was a fun one and a lot uh, a nice deep dive into what's what else is really in that film. So who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? Slasher Christmas. Well, let's get right to it and let's get to our flight question. Gorgeous score, isn't it? It's fantastic. Hans Zimmer's amazing. Gorgeous he, music. He might be my master distiller, just I'll say it right now. Like the, mm -hmm. As I kind of went back and was kind of scanning through the, the film... For notes and for for the sound clips, uh, I was really stricken by by the score that he did. But then an interesting piece that you're gonna lose your mind when I play two sound clips, mm -hmm. and I don't know if, if for good or for bad. We'll 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 see. But uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is gonna feature two villains that I'm sure we're gonna talk about in detail. And Wonder Woman has uh, a notorious rogues gallery, being that it's not the best. But that's an understatement. Is she's not a. Uh, Alone in that camp, there's a lot of superheroes that have a lot of very poor rogues galleries. So Batman and Spider-Man won't be making this list because... Nor the X-Men. Oh, oh, yeah. The, even the Fantastic Four, for that matter, have a pretty decent rogues. And Superman. Or, I don't know, maybe you're going to pick one of these, but let's no. do our top three worst rogues galleries for superheroes. Okay, number three coming in, and we can go both DC and Marvel, yes? Yeah. It's Green Lantern. It's just another version of a lantern with another color. Um I don't know. That series Sin is... Sinestro, yeah. Trouble. Uh, yeah, I mean, they all have one, whether it's the Cheetah or Sinestro, or e like even the Red Skull, even the worst of them have one. He's got his one. And I know we're going to get into the, the parallax discussion, but that's... Yeah. He sucks. Yeah, it, That character should be way cooler than he is. And the problem is the rogues are brutal. Mm -hmm. So that's my first one. Or three, Green Lantern. Number three for me, Ant-Man. Oh uh, my God! Does apart, he even have a rogues gallery? Apart from like Yellow Jacket, I guess. Uh, and then you know he has the Ultron ties, being that Hank Pym is the one that creates Ultron in the comic books. But that's more of an Avengers thing. 
him on alone, him and the wasp alone, they have nobody. It's it's pretty 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 weak. And you kind of saw that uh, they're doing an Ant Man three, and the, King the Conqueror is going to be the villain in that. So they're literally taking an Avengers big bad to make them a bad for them. So that happens a lot when we're out of villains. As you start sharing, mm-hmm. Kingpin falls into that. Doctor Doom falls into that a little bit. Where we just well, we'll go with this sort of general baddie that's the Garden Variety World Conqueror. Garden yeah. Variety World Conqueror. I like that. Yeah. I like Ant-Man. That's good. I mean, that's we talked a lot about that film off mic mm-hmm. and what that was and what it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And mostly what it wasn't was anything terrible. The first film is fantastic. Yeah. I think Ant-Man. We did a whole thing, a whole shot on that, didn't we? Yeah. Didn't that make it to the semifinals on our final four? It might have been, yeah. It was up there. Number two. <laughs> Thor. The God element is a bit of a deal breaker because he's just going to be so overpowered compared to most of what he's fighting. And I know that there's a Loki. How many times are we going to see that villain recycled? And that's almost fallen into world conquering garden variety. Avengers villain. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Thor at two. Yeah. That's pretty good. Listen, <laughs> just unreadable too. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's not a lot of people that are like, I'm an avid Thor loyalist to the comic books. Like, who is that person? Well, I know you love the Dark Elves. Like, Thor Dark World oh, is your yeah, favorite yeah, it's Marvel my film. favorite Marvel movie of all time. Mm, what's that red gel shit? <laughs> oh, it's an Infinity Stone. Number two for me, Iron Man. Uh, great character. And, you know, you have the Mandarin in there and Fing Fang Foom. But even that, <laughs> who? Start, that starts to get a little ridiculous. It Crimson Dynamo. Uh, but as we've said multiple times, his best enemy is drinking his <laughs> bottle of bourbon. Yep. And they haven't really dabbled too much into that. But after that, dig into Iron Man's rogues galleries, and it's almost borderline stupid. Part of the problem with, I think, why the second and third film suffered a bit. Mm-hmm. From villains. You know, Whiplash could have been cool, but mostly he couldn't have. It's because he's in a dunk tank for half the movie. <laughs> he's locked up for the second act. It's trouble. That's yeah, it's, it's always very problematic when when that happens. Number one, Aquaman, <laughs> and I don't think it has to suck. Ocean Master, they think there's enough outs, if you will, in the ocean where you essentially have space. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, intergalactic villains are only intergalactic defined by the geography that we don't know. If the ocean is vast. And there's plenty of areas that are explored and unexplored. There's no shortage of things that you can create that make that villain unique. Yeah. And I, I know that there's Ocean Master and Black Manta and whoever the hell killed like baby Aqualad. And like, I, I know there's a few out there, but, and part of it is also Aquaman kind of sucks and shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I think they've done some stuff in the recent years to kind of help fix his image. And, like, I have to admit, there's a series called The Trench mm-hmm. that's um, pretty damn well well written. Yeah. Um, when I used to teach a comic book class, we actually use that. The art's beautiful. It's a really well-crafted score. I want to say it's J.M. Mate- I don't know who. I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'll look it up and see. who. Maybe it's Johns that wrote that, Jeff Johns. But, um, you know, those are essentially aliens, like amphibious undersea creatures that look like aliens. Short of that, yeah, not much else. And don't you think there could be a lot of opportunity there? Oh, definitely. You just have to put the time in to expand it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So yeah, that's that's, that's my your, number one. That's, that's a good one. Iron Man was up there too, but I if you went with Iron Man, I was going to go with Aquaman. Okay. So that's Iron Man would be up there too. Gotcha. All right, you're number one. Let's hear it. Green Arrow. Oh my god. 
apart from a character named Merlin, Jesus, and then Jesus. kind of it, whatever they've kind of put together in the the CW show, which is which is fairly decent. Nothing, literally, like nothing of any substantial. Now you're getting into like really cookie cookie cutter villains, and Batman has a lot of those, like condiment king and like yeah, but there's levels right there is levels there's there's like i think arch nemesis like other like street level baddies and then there's like novelty baddies and like batman has a lot of those but it seems like everyone else especially dc there's too many novel no, novelty villains what about paste pot pete is that the trapster <laughs> yeah there's marvel has some of those too do you think that's just the comic book is just like they got a deadline this they got to get this book out. They don't know what to, so they come up with like a no nonsense, just stupid character. Yeah, and I think you have to have just the kind of rough and tumble. You can kind of beat the crap out of them, bad guy, and if, a lot of those fit into that. If every like Spider Man's such a crazy weird exception because if you kind of track the beginning of that book and like episode one or issue one is the chameleon, number two is. Uh, like the Tinker or whatever, but then you have Doc Ock, the Sandman, Mysterio, Electro, and like each week was just this like legendary villain being created, and that's that that's rare. That like doesn't happen often. So you brought this up, and I've been meaning to tell you about it for a matter of weeks, and I keep forgetting. Mm. So the comic book subscription that I have now is that Comicsology. Oh yeah, man, I'm reading the story with Craven that you and I have always wanted. Last Hunt. Yeah. yeah. Did you read it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it good? Really good. I I have that in. Comic form and in novelization form. Man, that is a really, really well done story. And mm-hmm. it makes all of those D-listers that you're talking about. Like, I've never cared so much about the White Rabbit. Yeah. She kind of matters in that. Mm-hmm. It's a really well done. So it is possible. Yeah. You just have to choose the right environment. And you and I have wanted that story for ages. When did that come out? Is that 17, 18? When is that? Um, Do you even know? I should look it up. Yeah, I think it was early 2000s, really. I think it's been around for it's a that while. that old, huh? I think so, yeah. It's a terrific read. Yeah. Great choices. I'm surprised we didn't have similar ones. It just shows you how terrible some of the rogues galleries are then. What about Cap? <laughs> did you have any consideration to Cap? Yeah, I did. Uh, uh, Bar, Hydra, and Red Skull. Ugh. <laughs> like, you don't like MODOK? <laughs> isn't he kind of an Iron Man villain, too? There's the cross-pollination of villains, too. Who's the one with the TV head? Oh, uh, Zola. Arnold Zola. Zola. Yeah, he's he's not bad. But then take those away and there's nothing else. Like and Bucky. Even if you well he's a buddy. Yeah. So yeah, I did give some consideration to him. So I have one more thing about the Kevin Smith Green Arrow bit. Mm. When Kevin Smith got back into it before it went south with uh the evil that men do and the mm-hmm. Black Cat Spider Man crossover and when he was actually still working instead of taking breaks in a very Gen X slacker kind of way. Yeah. He ran through about 25 episodes issues of of green arrow and i have those i'm gonna have to let you look at it because he literally he's never mattered except when denny o'neill and whatever the hell his name is did um the brave and the bold or the yeah and that was more a look at like social injustice than it was villains i'll have to let you take a look at that it's pretty damn good okay for definitely yeah, a bad rogues gallery with kind of. Do you like that hero? Yeah, I think he's interesting. Yeah, okay, Oliver Queen. Yeah, I think he he offers. Well, it's kind of a Batman angle, but more of a. How do I describe it? Race in the school of hard knocks a little bit. Yeah, and it's almost got a like a kind of a castaway Rambo vibe to yeah. it versus kind of what Bruce goes through. It's fair, um, but I think we're going to talk about a lot of these characters probably in this episode because DC is just so you can't talk about some without talking about some of the others. Superhero heavy this week. 
So Good cheers, choices, buddy. I love your choices. Cheers too. And let's get right into it in our review, review breakdown of Wonder Woman 1984. Rock and roll. You took the short path. You cheated, Diana. That is the truth. That is the only truth, and truth is all there is. But I would have won if you didn't. But you didn't. You cannot be the winner because you are not ready to win. And there is no shame in that. Only in knowing the truth in your heart and not accepting it. No true hero is born from lies. So Wonder Woman 1984 opens up in uh, in Themyscira, which is Wonder Woman's home world, where, which was established a lot in the in the first film. But and I think, and man, we've talked a lot about this off. We, we've talked about this film a lot off mic before even doing the show. Uh, just kind of about this opening, and I've I've told you already, and kind of just going back and just doing a little review. I really like this opening scene because of what it could have been for the rest of the film. At the end of the day, this scene doesn't have a real good payoff. And and those words by Robin Wright there as almost like her teacher, she's like her Miyagi. And I think those words could have rang a lot true. Had the crux of this story taken a different turn. Whereas Diana later in the film is dealt a very critical, almost fatal blow to someone close to her that makes her lose this lesson that if you do take the short path in superhero life, people pay the price. Peter Parker, Gwen Stacy. I mean, it's, it's something that's been discussed a lot now as in terms of action. I think it's very exciting. I kind of like, what do you, what do you, what do you think of that? Like checkpoint system or with the flares and then with the ribbons, So people can kind of see who's in lead. Like I thought that was kind of an interesting way to show that, but I'm also kind of stricken. I'm, I'm talking a lot. And I want to hear from you. If this is the most exciting part of the movie for me, like what is left in this film other than a lot of excess? Okay, so before I answer any of that, before I forget this, because mm-hmm. that series I just talked about with Spider-Man is called Hunted, and it was 2019. So you haven't read that one, I don't oh, think. Oh, okay. So I'll have to let you borrow that. I've read so, a different Craven one then, yeah. So the last time I know also, that's that's when our Craven dies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, that's a different thing. Oh, gotcha, okay. So I'll have to, totally not related, but back to a mistake made earlier. So I apologize for everybody, and I don't want to sidetrack it, but I'm going to have to let you get your eyes on that because it is Thank you. fantastic. Okay, secondly, yes, it might be the most interesting part of the movie. Um, if the idea behind that is to reinforce to all of superhero movie viewers from expert to novice that the hero can't cheat or there's going to be a price to pay, then I guess you've set up the theme of your film. And I think that's a cool lesson to learn when you're young. Sure. Like that. And it would fit. And amidst this this clan of hyper-powerful Amazonian women, Mm -hmm. young Diana shouldn't be able to compete without cutting a few corners. So I think organically, it all kind of makes sense. How did I pitch it to you? She's like the coach's kid? (laughs) She's like the coach's kid, exactly. (laughs) And she kind of takes a shortcut, but I would argue it seemed entirely fair. It's a clever clever shortcut. With what happened, 
which basically she loses her horse. Mm-hmm. And then I think shows guile or mm-hmm. cunning in order to find a way to sort of keep up with the competition. Mm-hmm. My question in all this is, okay, so we've established maybe a theme. Yeah. Can't cut corners. Mm-hmm. What's the ultimate goal for her as we see it? We know she's going to become Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. We know that this is another tale of Themyscira as young Diana prior to becoming powerful Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. Yeah. And as much as I think it's it's really well shot and there's some interesting obstacles that they traverse, it's about seven or eight minutes mm-hmm. in a movie that is arduously long, two and a half hours long. I'm mm-hmm. just going to say that. No, it's very long. And I'm not sure if the payoff or the goals of that are entirely germane to the amount of time that it gets. And oh, absolutely not. And with the time that it gets, how that crisis is solved later in the film. Cause we're going to come back to the cutting corners and you have to be honest bit a little bit later. Kind of. Yeah. What's Trevor, what's Trevor Steve. That's going to, I can't wait to talk about him. Yeah. Um, so I don't disagree with anything you said. I wish it paid off more. And I think we're in the same camp in that. I do. Yeah. I mean, those are, when you hear from your elders in a lot, of, whether it's Jor-El or Alfred or any of these characters that have wise, wiseness to them, you kind of have to take that. And when you kind of cut corners in that regard, you pay the price. And I don't know if other than having to let Steve disappear from that man's body, right. I don't know if she pays much of a, of a price. Right. And that's just the way I like these superhero stories and films to play out. The ultimate sacrifice. I have to lose Gwen Stacy to learn what it means to really have great power and great responsibility. Things like that. I think there's good and bad happening in this race, this obstacle course. And Mm -hmm. one is, the bad is, I don't know if I need any more young Diana. Yeah. Because the name of the movie is Wonder Woman, not young Diana. Mm -hmm. The other thing, though, that it does showcase, and I think we have a bit of a miss with this in the Wonder Woman series going forward and maybe in the past what we've missed on is a look at a very unfamiliar land that mm-hmm. has plenty of interesting elements in it. And that is the mascara. Mm-hmm. It's showcased really well. It looks nice. There's plenty of cool things to jump over and tackle and, yep. you know, rough and tumble it with. And so in a weird way, it's kind of working and not, but both of those are secondary to what the goal of that race is. And yeah. it's what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. The goal of that, get everybody set on board yeah. is you can't cut corners. And then if that's what you set up and that's the opening bit in your film, which is important because you're setting the tone for the film, then you should expect all of the conflict in the film to revolve around that same axis. And I'm not sure that it does. No, it doesn't. Because when we get to Maxwell Lord and the cheetah, I'm not sure. No, no. Really plays with either of them. Absolutely not. Which is a shame to me because I do enjoy the opening of the film. Okay. So let me ask you a question then. Okay. About this. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to rate it on a scale of one to 10 in two ways. Okay. And a standalone bit just as what it is a scene. Okay. One to 10, 10 being high. And then in the context of the film, okay. one to 10, <laughs> how much it matters. I want to hear what you say that. That's probably maybe about like a seven or an eight in it, it, not the context of the film. Like just as a scene alone, like I, I think it's that interesting. Mm-hmm. In the context of the film, it's probably about a two or a three. So I'm agreement with you. Because it's like, if it's gone, I don't think you miss it. 
But oh, then, yeah. Let, let's talk about the scene. Well com- said. Well, let's talk about the scene coming up. So we shoot to 1984 for God knows what reason. Why? Why 84? Yeah. Other than you're just trying to monetize the 80s, which are wildly popular right now, but were never that cool because I lived through them. They I w- never were. I know. I want to give the filmmakers just a benefit of the doubt because when looking about at this film, they filmed it in 2018. So <laughs> nearly two two to three years ago yeah. when this was the time of It and Stranger Things and that... Right nostalgic boom was big and it's kind of i want to say it's kind of dying off right now i might be wrong in that regard thank god but i don't think everything needs to take place in the, unless it's for it has a good story purpose to it which at the end of the day i don't think this does either other than you know with the 80s greed and excess and the gordon gecko bit and if mm-hmm. wh- whatever mm-hmm. but even that's not enough this could have taken place in present day and probably just been the same movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting that you brought up Gordon Gecko. I hadn't thought about that because that's essentially what Maxwell Lord sort of is becoming, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, so yes, tell everything you said there. I want to ask another question, though. Maybe it's rhetorical, but okay. I'll let you run with it after I pose it. Okay. If the movie is set in 2018, mm-hmm. contemporary, yeah. versus 1984, mm-hmm. would they have had to change a single thing other than the settings that we see them occur in. No, I don't think so. Or either. the set, the set, or the the wardrobe is the big thing. So there's not a lot of like Cold War stuff happening in this, and, it, and oh, there's some nuke stuff. I, I, I was joking. I was like, man, it ain't a movie set in the '80s unless they're launching nukes. Yeah, <laughs> like, but it's not the crux of the film. You're right. You're right. Uh, the other thing it misses on for taking place in the eighties. Okay. You're in the eighties. You're all in 1984. And it doesn't have like a decent eighties soundtrack to like back oh, yeah, it up. I know. Right. Well, Warner brothers couldn't pay for any like banana rama. Yeah. Cruel summer. I would have taken any of those songs. Uh, Wing Chung's, uh, dance hall days. Like I would have taken any of these songs and they kind of miss on that too. So I wonder, and, and now we're, now we're dealing <laughs> Wang Chung just made the podcast. Dude, oh I, my God. I, Matt, I love Wang Chung. I'll, that to, really? I'll have to play this album because they they recently did a couple of years ago they rescored a lot of their um, songs with an orchestra and mm-hmm. they sound awesome like they sound like really grandiose like Dance Hall Days is a good song mm-hmm. I have to admit secretly that is kind of on the DL a really solid tune after the show I'll play that version for you you, right. you might like it right. uh, sorry back to the score yeah, or ba- music. back to back to 1984 and and this decade. So the other problem it is, is now we're in prequel territory. We've mm-hmm. seen Wonder Woman yep. in the first film in World War One, and then in present day. And then in Justice League, we saw her in present day. Now we're taking a story and doing it before that. So we know how it's going to turn out for her, at least. Guys, but, this is the problem with... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on your no, toes. Go ahead. go ahead. But then it's another big thing that tends to happen in these superhero movies to me, which is the events that happen in this film could be small and contained... But they reach grandiose proportions by the end of the film, a worldwide proportion. A lot of so, wind. So are we just gonna be like, hey, does everyone remember the the wish the wish giving day of '84? Like everyone would remember that and be like, hey, that was really strange. Yeah. So now it's part of history, but then that's never referenced in anything other than in this film. So right. I don't then we're in Y84, and to me it's just a mechanism. If you do the prequel thing, you are knowingly slowing the pace of your film. And the only way around that is to make sure what you are prequeling or pre-telling prior to what you've established is as interesting, if not more interesting, than what you've already established. 
It's the problem with Anakin versus Darth. Yeah. He's just not as cool, despite whatever they've tried, and they've tried many different ways to sort of build that up. It's never going to work. Now, Only this, my new powers can save you, Padme. Right, right. <laughs> and I know that's picking some low-hanging fruit, but... You're right. The like, Thanos thing didn't work in in-game either. Yeah. We talked about that, and if you're curious, I'm not going to rehash it. Go back and listen to all three hours of that podcast. <laughs> <Never long. laughs> that's funny. Long one. In this particular case, mm-hmm. to not have any acknowledgement of Wish Day in 1984 in any of the Justice League stuff going forward, yeah. and to have the sum total of nothing, you've now taken what seemed to be a rather large event and essentially etch-a-sketched it, or magic it's, erasered it, or it's just, just gone. It's just a bad weekend for everybody. <laughs> if Yeah. And if you didn't make a wish, it didn't affect you at all. It but, didn't, yeah. And we're going to get into the broadcasting on that and why the hell it's in a cave and the White House ties and all that nonsense in a little while. But they're just making some interesting decisions. And really the only thing, let's go ahead and do this now, that's going to play to any significance in 1984 is the fashion show that Trevor Steve puts on for Diana. Yes. Let's do it because I know you hate it. So everybody, Trevor Steve's going to come back because of a rock known as the Wishing Stone. Wait, we got to get to that. <laughs> you want to do that? Which is a very phallic-looking thing, and i got to say this. Yeah, I thought it looked like that, too. They could have really played that out, especially with the cheetah and her origins, but they missed that, too. They could have, but in a film with too much, that's just another thing to go into, you know what I mean? It's sad to say that there's this much excess in this film, and we've missed this obvious, obvious, obvious... Well, Three two fastball right up the pipe. Well, let's talk about the MacGuffin of the film, which Ooh, we'll uh, just we'll just call Wishing Rock. It's upon the object held but one great wish. You read Latin? Yeah, yeah. Languages are a hobby. Maybe that's like a lucky charm or something. Yeah, I guess. It's strange. I really wish I had a coffee. <laughs> yeah, I got Erica a coffee, but she's out sick. Does anybody want this? <laughs> what? Yeah, I'll take one. Ooh, hop, hop. <gasps> Did you see that? <laughs> wow. Can you imagine? If only. <laughs> so many things I don't even know what I would wish for. I do. That scene is insane because this guy's like, I wish I had a coffee. And then he gets a free coffee. And then Diana's like, well, shit, this guy got free coffee. I can bring Steve back. And I could wish to be hot. So let's talk about Wishing Rock. So it's this artifact. So in the opening sequence, there's this mall heist at a jewelry store that's fronting as a black market mineral uh, or fine antiquities uh, establishment, and they, they come and steal all these things. And Wonder Woman kind of makes do with them pretty quickly in a kind of a crazy scene in its own regard, where the bad he, the bad guys are like, "Let's get out of here!" And then he's going to throw a kid over the railing, and then like they freak out, like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of all over the place tonally. How do they know this wishing rock is there? I well, I think. They don't know it's. They're not stealing it. It's happens to be there. It happens to be there. So I got to stop right here. Let's sour mash this for one second. Well, the the this black market establishment, I, they get all the stuff that was there sent to this museum for them to go through. I don't know. I think it was just them stealing, and they weren't stealing that. Right. It just it puts the the plot in in motion. Happens to be in the place that they're. Yeah. There you b- go. What if? 
in that opening sequence, when all of the Amazons are watching this race occur, we get a side story or an entry into someone sneaking into the halls of Themyscira and stealing that artifact. I like that. At least then we have a through line. I kind of thought this, if it's such a big part of the movie, it probably should have been from her home planet where there's even more grave danger to it. She knows what it can really do. And then you get into, with the selling or black market elements of that, then the quest for power that both of our protagonists sorry, antagonists, are mm-hmm. after in this film. Mm-hmm. Okay, none of that happens, so it didn't happen in the film. Instead, we just get a mall heist where you come into, and this is the, literally the crux of the second act of the film, wishes. Wishes. It's like Aladdin. Do you give two tears in a bucket about wishes? <laughs> it's, it's a little silly. <laughs> yeah. A- it, it's really silly. Yeah. Wishes? Yeah, it's like the magic lamp in Aladdin. It's, yeah, grant, grant. A, and then, okay, we got to talk about the rules of Wishing Rock because in mm-hmm. that sequence. The monkey's paw. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Diana says, I know what I'd wish for. She doesn't say it, but you kind of get the gust of wind. So Wishing Rock can grant mental wishes at the same time, I guess. Yeah. And so th- that you're right. That becomes the crux of this. It becomes what Max Lord's after. It becomes what Barbara's going to use to totally make herself over in Diana's attributes. And it's going to bring, be what Steve brings back. But whatever you wish, you have to give up a little bit of, of yourself. None of this is like really told to you. Like at the upfront, it's only in some, uh, shamans, uh, uh, sh- uh, warehouse that he has all the answers to wishing rock and so what's strange about this is for the cost of your wish we're led to believe you have to give up something if the rock is an inanimate object and you wish upon it how does that determine there's no consciousness in there yeah how does that determine what you give up? I guess it's your just, most precious thing. Yeah, it's just the suspension of dif- disbelief. Oh. Like we have to buy into that this is a magic rock. Okay, so we're at wishes with the magic rock, magic rock that have the ability to sap some goodness from you for the cost of the wish. We are really venturing into troubling waters. What now. I do like about it, one regard, uh, is how Max goes about and why he's getting it, but then. Max doesn't instantly go for world takeover guy. He starts off small and then builds up to that. So he presents a villain that could be defeated. He doesn't, I want to be the all-powerful god of this. He wishes to actually become the rock, to grant be the wish granter, which is someone who could be bested with Wonder Woman's abilities. And I find that interesting. It's, it's something that's not overly ridiculous. Okay, I'm with An you. An overly ridiculous antagonist. It's not like a Steppenwolf or something. Okay, I'm with you there. Okay. So I wonder then, so this rock is really important. Is this Jeff Johns? He had a story credit with Patty Jenkins. Did he say, hey, let let me pitch you on this idea of how to bring these characters in? I don't think this is a singular story. I think this is a couple things smashed together, actually. Definitely, yeah. And if Maxwell Lord comes into possession of the wishing rock and then wishes himself the powers of the wishing rock as the wish granter and thus collector of the payment for those wishes what begins to happen with max lord is we see 
a very steady decline in his health. Yeah. Which would seem to speak, if that's mortality, because eventually it looks like he's going to die. Mm-hmm. The wishing rock has, you brought up the magic lamp thing, so I'll use it like three rubs and then it's out. Yeah. So there is a finality to the wishing rock. Sure. None of that is explained. None of that is brought up. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't think anyone cared enough to even think about it. They just needed to give Max a larger goal, which would be the reclamation of health. And let's not even get into that yet. Yeah. Cause that's a few more minutes down the road. But at this point in the film, we've established Diana misses Trevor and she's going to wish him back. Now this is the biggest miss in the film for me right here. So can I do this real quick? I've been talking for a but let me do this one part. Yeah. Good. In the first film, the go ahead. I had wanted to ask you this because I always remember you telling me that you thought their relationship was really good in film one. The best part of the first film. Yeah. Establishing that and making me believe that this goddess, not only physically, but exotic wise, beautiful, like drop dead, the fish stop swimming and you walk in the room gorgeous. Mm -hmm. How are you going to make me believe that she's going to take a shine to Chris Pine? Yeah. Nothing wrong with Chris Pine. I don't even, I like Chris Pine too. I don't have a problem with Chris Pine. Mm -hmm. And they did it in the first film, and I thought the love scene was handled as about as about as well as any love scene I've seen. I, it just han- was handled by Patty um, Jenkins, Jenkins mm-hmm. brilliantly and aptly. Yeah, I always remember you saying that that was your favorite part was them together. And I'm not some romance guy. Yeah, I just I thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. And in this film, okay, so now they're in a space that I like. Yeah, I like that about the first film. And when he comes back, <laughs> it's an embrace. And a tawdry period of just bullshit. So I think you're going to play some sound. Let's hear it. Good night. I wish we had more time. Why did you say that? Don't say that to me. You don't even know me. Yes, I do. I mean you don't even know me I can save today but you can save the world Hans Zimmer though <laughs> wasted Let's talk about this this moment uh, really quickly. So he comes back manifested in a new man's body. So, so Joe Black? Meet Joe Black. Uh, so these rules aren't explained to us either. So nope. I, I want to ask you if I'm right in, on, in this uh, prediction. I think he still looks like this guy to the people around but for the audience we're given the Chris Pine visual so we can ground ourselves with who this is but it does I don't think he's walking around looking like that I think he's walking around looking like that guy well I don't know I didn't thought about that because he looks in the mirror later and he sees the guy my question was what did that guy do to deserve to to give up his body to sacrifice it for Trevor Steve's return I know we all when we watched this all three of us went wait what happened to that guy he didn't do anything. That guy is the cost for the wish. No, because the cost for Diana's wish to bring, and this is ridiculous, 
to bring Trevor Steve back is a slight, and I really want to emphasize the word slight. Decrease in powers? That's it. Yeah. Like she's not quite bulletproof anymore, but everything else is going to be the same. So whereas everybody else, when they make their wish through Maxwell Lord or The Rock, give up something completely, it's gone, mm-hmm. goodbye. Yeah. She becomes semi-grazable by bullets. Yeah. That is so stupid. Yeah. If you're going to go, go ahead and do Superman 2 well, I was just, and do it all the way. I was going to say, it's not a superhero sequel unless your hero totally loses their powers, a la Superman 2 or Spider-Man 2. There's a blueprint. Yeah. Follow it. I think there's two consciences living in that guy, and we see him as Chris Pine, but he's walking around looking like that guy. It's a visual It's a visual cue for the audience, which is sounds ridiculous. Wishes, body replacement, some mortality loss set amidst a world in 1984 that has zero bearing on impacting the story insofar as what 1984 should be or isn't. It's a shit show at this point. Would, um, wouldn't it have been better for him to just kind of just come back as himself? Yes. Just manifest it as himself? Yes. I yes. mean, you're not telling me the wishing rock isn't above that to bring him back? Coffee appeared up out of nowhere. Yep. So just bring him If you're playing fast and loose with wishes, you don't, you don't wish in a way that's actually, well, that could really happen. You wish in a way and it just happens. And the way they, well, maybe we have to find um, some matter that he can re-manifest himself. You guys are stupid. Can I sour mash this whole Steve Trevor thing? Yeah. Because I, I really feel like they wanted to do the Superman 2 thing, but yeah. just like didn't know how to do it. And this film uh, dabbles with something that I think is very interesting. And even kind of Captain America Winter Soldier kind of went there, but not quite. And I thought this film was going to do it. What it means to like essentially be immortal and have these powers and to have life just pass you by. You love and have children and jobs and go through world conflicts and people get older and die, but you stay the same. Like what kind of toll does that have on someone? So my sour mash is Diana meets a new guy, nothing against Chris Pine or Steve Trevor, but he died. The man's dead and she meets a new guy, but she finds solace and happiness in him enough to say, Hey, I want to give, give up this superhero thing. I don't want to be that. I want to I found someone I can settle down with, and she, she does. She renounces the Mascara's powers, and it's not until Max Lord and all that stuff starts going down when she's like, I, I can't do it without, you know what I mean? And isn't that the ultimate lesson of superheroes? Isn't that Peter Parker's creed is with great power comes great responsibility? The hero always has to come back around to what their purpose was put for for getting these powers. But to give that up to be a little selfish, I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's not this story. <laughs> okay, to double down on your sour mash and agree with you even more, it's already happening anyway. And my argument for that is she is not going to do a Wonder Woman thing from post-mall showdown. You're right. Till we get to the convoy on the highway. I timed it for 58 minutes. Yeah. There is no Wonder Woman doing Wonder Woman-esque things for an hour which if you're going to then renounce your powers because you are so deeply in love with someone, and that's the rule, I guess, the sacrifice, go ahead and do it because you did it in the script anyway. She doesn't lasso or boomerang or jump or gauntlet, echo, vibe, destroy, whatever the hell power they fly. And when the did Wonder Woman learn how to fly? Yeah, when well, did, what is that? Yeah, let's talk about that coming up here. So, but Jesse, she, she it's does, already there. I know, yeah. 
What the hell? I know. Well, I think it is the, the, the wishing rock creates a, a, a bit of problems. <laughs> Every time you say wishing rock, I keep waiting for a punchline. Yeah. That's legit. Let's talk about the other character that this involves here, because this is also another interesting thing. So we have Barbara Minerva, who's this new geologist, gemologist that's, I think they're working at the Smithsonian here in, in Washington. And she takes kind of a, a shine. We just got to talk about this trope right here and right now because I don't know who started it. I, it's got to be an Edward Nigma thing, which is the goofy social outcast, smart uh, <laughs> antagonist that takes a shine to the protagonist and through the crux of whatever the villain element is in the story becomes evil. Dorky, it, dorky stalker. It's Max Dillon's Electro. Yep. It's Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. It's yep. uh, Uma Thurman's uh, Poison Ivy. It's yeah. Guy Pierce's Killian in Iron Man 3. It's wow. Edward Nigma's Riddler in Batman Forever. Like, So you're saying we're not doing anything new here. Exactly. Hmm. And I wonder why that's such an out to do a character. That if they're kind of disposed of and kind of left aside, that the only way path now is to become a villain. Doesn't so, even really make sense, does it? Yeah, and, I, and 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 it's and it's interesting in this. And she wishes to be like Diana. She wants to be of that company, so she takes on some of those qualities to give up a little bit of her heart. But man, I'm kind of done with this trope too. I mean, it was god awful in Amazing Spider-Man two, and it's not great here. And I think it's an absolute shame. And I want to talk about acting for a little bit, unless you have something to say about Barbara. But uh, oh, I've talked about it before, and yeah. what I'm saying is. If that wishing rock grants the wisher whatever power they would like, then there is already an established library, a volume of information on Barbara Minerva. Yeah. And as much as I could give a rip about the cheetah, <laughs> her backstory is really cool. Yeah. The development of that villain has to do with sacrifice and sex, and it, it's a great story. It's kind of tribal cat, and voodoo-y. And cat people-y. It's great, <laughs> yeah. yes. And they kind of teased and played around with it a little bit, but I guess I don't really have anything further to say than just that. Like there was plenty to use. That's very interesting. That would have worked with Barbara anyway. Yeah. And in my mind with what you've sour mashed and now what we sour mashed at the beginning, we made a great, I'm seeing a really good movie Yeah. because this, the sour mash piece of Barbara Minerva to, Cheetah falls right in line with the wishing rock that was stolen from Themyscira early on. Like do you we think, we should have made this film. It could have been way better. Do you think studios and directors and writers feel pressure that you know when you have a first one and it's a hit and you've got to follow that up obviously with something that that the always the go tos like we got to do more and more of it and that's not the answer. It's to actually scale it back, if anything. Look at Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. It's far less of an action-packed movie to New Hope, but what it does to the characters, and it builds on what's already been established. Uh, Sam Raimi did it great in Spider-Man 2. There's other great examples of directors that don't feel the need to do more because it's a second one. What I would You rattled off that list of all the similar... Origin yeah, that, stories that's for shock, other shocking is, <laughs> and you know who's the best one on that list? It's Ooh. Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. It is, it really is, yeah. And it was pretty simple if you think about how they did her in that film. Yep. So there is a blueprint to follow if they had taken the time. Did you kind of forget that Guy Pierce was kind of like totally that? spaced at the, at the beginning? Yes, he's I all kind of 
dorky and impish. <laughs> <laughs> Once again. Yes. Yeah, man, they had it there and they didn't <clears throat> use it. That's really even more maddening now. I want to talk about acting for a second. Yeah, go, yes, yeah. Uh, so they have Kristen Wiig cast in this film. And I just got to tell you, Kristen Wiig is maybe one of the funniest people. Her impressions of Catherine Hepburn and mm-hmm. Judy Garland will have you on the floor rat- laughing. And I think Kristen Wiig is stuck in an unfortunate aspect of Hollywood. No, I'm just saying, like, they get to be in movies and make millions of dollars. That's great. But she is forced to play awkward comedic jokey all the time. And that's what Barbara is. And I kind of think if you kind of broke down her and made her do like a film that would be like seven, like something a little darker, I think she'd be equally as good as that in a different way. Agreed. I think people fall into acting traps and like kind of like what makes you big. They want more of that and more of the same. And Gal Gadot's in the same kind of boat here. I think we're both kind of on record thinking, and Gal Gadot's not a, like a great Oscar thespian actress, but she was kind of born to play this part. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the exotic aspect. It's the the voice. It's the look. It's how she presents herself. That won't work in like a Denny Villeneuve film. Like it will stand out like a sore thumb, but for here it does work. So there's something to that. You know what I mean? I think it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And what I mean by that is a bit typecast, unfortunately. Mm. I think Kristen Wiig has the chops to play a lot of different parts. I don't think one of them is bombshell. Yeah. No, not an ugly woman. or that, That's just not in her, her, her gifts, her talents to not really go there. She's really talented, mm-hmm. but she's been typecast as what you said, awkward, yeah. kind of funny weirdo. Mm-hmm. The other side of that coin is I don't think Gal Gadot is an amazing actress. I, I think she's great. Yeah. I don't have any problems with Gal Gadot. Mm-hmm. But is it really hard to play Wonder Woman? And once you've kind of figured it out and people see you as her, doesn't it kind of just carry itself? Yeah, it becomes, you know... Fairly easy to do. I mean, actors that play Bond or whatever, you know, you get, you, you're well known for the part. And I think because they, they struck it first with her, but then that's also no knock against her because I think what she brings, she brings those elements that play Wonder Woman. She does them well. So it's sad because it's two sides of the same coin. My same coin is being typecast. Yeah. Gal Gadot will forever always only be Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And she's got the range to about be Wonder Woman. Yeah. Until she proves me wrong. And if she does, then so be it. And I'll gladly be wrong. Then that's good for her. I love to be proven wrong. Sure. Films like that. Yeah. And then Kristen Wiig, just through familiarity, has been typecast as Barbara Minerva. Whether it's this or Bridesmaids or what was the one where she um, was the cupcake maker. um, Oh, that's 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 Bridesmaids. Yeah. Is it? No. No. Yeah. She's she works at the jewelry store in that one. Oh, I know which one. I know what movie you're talking about. Right. Whatever. Or um, even in uh, even her character in that Ghostbusters reboot was kind of like that too. It was just kind of I'm a scientist, but I'm still kind of awkward and goofy around people. So yeah, that's just it's just something I noticed kind of kind of watching that. I, I kind of want you know more range. You know, it's it's the polar opposite, Matt, of like when you cast someone like Heath Ledger as to play the Joker, and he's kind of known for Ten Things I Hate About You and The Patriot. 
and then totally does something that you've never kind of seen him do before. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of that kind of juxtaposition. So sometimes you got to take a chance on people and say, don't do what you've done before. Right. At least that's how I, how I would approach it. But so, okay, so we have all the pieces in place. So let's kind of scoot ahead and catch up to the rest going on. So Max Lord uh, essentially turns himself into Wishing Rock. One great wish I've been waiting. I wish to be you, the dream stone itself. Isn't DC just a little more fantastical kind of compared to Marvel already? Yes. You know, kind of from, you know, where they're derived. Superman, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, he essentially turns himself into the rock and kind of goes about. And I liked this aspect, too. This seemed like something that could be regional. It didn't have to be worldwide, but has a big impact. And he starts to take all the world's oil resources from all the the, the oil barons of the world, per se, which would have a devastating emo- uh, economic impact uh, worldwide. Go put a, go fill up gas now. <laughs> we see Maxwell Lord prior to becoming the Wishing Rock, a failed businessman who's got problems with his family and his debtors are knocking at the door and and struggling did to you, make it. Did you like that? Did you sure? Did you like he's kind of like this Joel Osteen yeah. shyster in front of the camera? That's right. I said those two words at the same time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they go hand in hand. Then, I know Houston's flooded. Don't you dare come into my don't church. Don't you dare come into my $30 million church. Anyway, and but he goes to his office, and it's dilapidated. It's dusty. There's no employees. And I kind of thought that was interesting, that here's this guy who presents himself as grand, but it's far from grand behind the scenes. And, you, and those are things we like about villains. When you peel the layers back, they got something else going on. And he definitely has more going on than anyone else in this movie behind the scenes. (laughs) Right. The struggle that he's up against is really important and it should matter, but here's what happens. He starts off as aspiring oil tycoon and then achieves that. And then from that point forward, his motivations change literally from scene to scene. Yeah. I guess if you're going to become the wishing rock, then you should know that the power on the wishing rock grants you access to the wishers most prized belonging. I'm not sure how he came to know that. Yeah. I want Maxwell Lord to work. And I think there are some pieces in there that should speak to a really good villain. Yeah. By the end of the film, he is so stupid and silly. It's unwatchable. But at this point, we're not there yet. Like that little bit you just played that sound is pretty solid. If he knows the wishing rock, the monkey's paw grants the wish giver the recompense of acquisition from the wisher. And when they get into his his upbringing, and he's you know rags to still kind of raggish story, <laughs> rags to a little bit better rags. He was eating his tamale, and those kids were making fun of him as he was walking by. He had a hole in his shoe. But what the heck's it, wrong with that? Yeah, I love tamales. Yeah, I think it was. How do I say this? I think his intent was always, I just want to be a better businessman. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to not fail at every opportunity and every endeavor. I think he says it through his son. Yeah. He wants his son to be proud of him. And I guess that's where you get to 
the you shouldn't cut corners piece that we saw introduced with Diana early on in the film. It's just done so poorly. Yeah. He's instead of working hard to earn his son's affection or admiration, which the sons has told him, dad, I already have that for you. Then is it vanity? Yeah. Is the movie then about vanity? No, no, (laughs) it's not right. So while he's taking over the oil fields, meanwhile, Steve Trevor and Diana are kind of figuring out the 80s, and then she, <laughs> she creates the invisible jet. Oh. <laughs> Which doesn't matter, because she can fly somehow. Uh, yeah, I thought they, they, they spent uh, such a decent amount of time, probably about 10 minutes, establishing invisible jet that she should have been, that should have been her vehicle for the rest of the film. Right. I don't know how Steve Trevor even knew how to fly that plane compared to what he'd been used to flying back in the 1910s. Exactly. And wait, is Steve Trevor... <laughs> is the invisible jet... Is it worth the time in the film to establish it? It's never used again. It's only for this scene. And I like the invisible jet. I will admit to you, yeah. on my Christmas tree, I have Wonder Woman in the invisible jet. Do you have the same ornament? No, I don't, actually. I do. I have it. That's cool. It's one of the Hallmark ones. It's really cool. So, like, I appreciate it. If, they were, if that was going to be the mode of transportation for the rest of the film... Then yes, but it's not. Just a jet flying through the sky with fireworks as we watch Trevor and Diana continue to love each other. So it becomes a cat and mouse trying to stop Max before he takes over these oil fields. Did you think that convoy scene was a little Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh my God, yes, to the letter. <laughs> Where she's even underneath the car like like him. And well, fairly interesting. This kind of high, like I like highway chases like that, Mad Max, and well, at least Wonder Woman is doing Wonder Woman esque things again. Yeah, <laughs> she's and, but she's still limited. Like you said, she's taking a grazing dude into these bullets and and whatnot. But it's not until we we got to find out more about this wishing rock because it is so important to this movie. The monkey's paw. Beware what you wish for. It grants your wish, but takes your most valued possession. Diana, your powers. No, that doesn't make any sense. What's more precious than what you wish for? How do we stop this? The legend said it can only be stopped by destroying the stone itself or give back what was given. My people couldn't do the first thing and refused to do the second. Now the culture is destroyed, wiped from the face of the earth. No one renounced their wish. But the stone is already destroyed. What? When? at it. That's what Max Lord said to me. Maybe it's him. He's become it somehow. But how would how would that happen? I mean, if he wished for... This is a pretty silly scene. They're essentially the viewers trying to figure out the plot of the movie. <laughs> big exposition dump to get all very, of our very big. ducks in a row. Yep. Um. So we go see Pop Lebo. And get the history. Is that on, his name? No, but Pop, you know, Pop Lebo <laughs> yeah. from Vertigo, like yeah. the expert of all things San Francisco from Vertigo. Yep. So we go see the 1984 version of Wonder Woman's Pop Lebo, who just happens to be well versed in the culture that was taken down by the same stone. And this is all happening in the same city. <laughs> I know. Come on. Yeah. Very plot convenient, which I hate that too. Everyone works in the same building. <laughs> when that stone is introduced, there could be a history that's introduced with it. Like if it is at the museum and mm-hmm. not stolen from the mall and you could do a cool bit in the museum that's equally as cool as the mall other yeah. than, 
You know, you don't have the people walking around in parachute pants, which no one cared about. If you steal it from the museum, then there's the history that is being told to one of the groups that's being guided through the museum, and we learn what that stone is instead of that stupid exposition dump right there. Yeah. That's bad writing. That That is bad writing, this moment. Yeah, you get to a point when you have too many things in motion where you kind of have to bring it together because the movie's getting too long and then it's it becomes plot convenience it's the same as oscorp and spider-man like everyone worked in the same building runs into each other you know what i mean just for the sake of the to move the plot along because there's no other way to do it yeah that is yeah you're not pre-planning how things need to fall into place so max is getting more powerful he through a meeting with the president <laughs> finds out about this satellite that's going to enable him to broadcast all over the world which would grant him access you see then we got too big you know what i mean i liked it when it was smaller and plays better in contemporary culture than in 1984 with a broadcasting all across the globe satellite doesn't it yeah yeah cuz then it gets too big because then you got like these guys are wishing for nuclear weapons and then you got to have that and then you got to have these people are wishing for that and it's just this guy wishes his bitchy wife would shut up yeah and it's just it's just Stupid. it's just too much and like 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 i said i was like i was on board when it was like yeah, these are kind of their selfish intentions but villains are selfish they wanted what's in it for them and then it just gets it gets too big you know what i mean like like there's something nice about batman and Spider-Man for that reason. Not Spider-Man Far From Home, but the, the street-level Spider-Man. Contained. It's like neighborhood conflicts that are yeah. big and personal to the hero themselves. To that. <laughs> knowing your scope is huge. Yeah, in these stories, I, I think. And it's when you step outside of that, and you can have globe-trotting adventures like an Infinity War and things like that, and those are fine. But for every conflict to be an Infinity War, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's just too much. Why does every villain like want to take over the world? You know what I mean? Like that seems like stupid. I'd rather just have like my own little island and then just like make money. <laughs> so at this point, before we're about to begin the broadcast with Maxwell Lord, he has, I guess, acquired all of the oil that he needs, but he hasn't quite garnered his son's full affection or admiration. And this is done in essentially three quick throwaway conversations between him and his son. What's happened though is the monkey's paw has started to affect Maxwell Lord as well, and that's with each wish that he grants, he is losing his health and getting closer to death. So what he decides is he's going to start granting wishes left and right in order to then take from the wisher some piece of their health to restore his. Mm -hmm. That only goes so far. There's a point where you can only be so healthy unless you want to choose to, instead of going health, go mortality, and that grants you immortality. And that's not happening in this film. His eyes are bloodshot. He's constantly sweaty. I'm sure he's running a fever. He's not healthy, and each wish has taken a little bit more from him. But he's running out of people now to grant wishes and take their most prized thing because I guess you can only do it once. Yeah. That doesn't even make sense either. And here's the other thing that's weird about that. Yeah. Whereas Wonder Woman's wish only cost her a little bit of her power, everybody else forfeits the entirety of whatever they lost. Their goodness, all their goodness. All of it. Yeah. Not just like 6%, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah, Crystal Wiggs just like, she's getting more powerful. She's just beating up uh, dr- drunks in the street. <laughs> 
So she's already super fast and strong and all these things. And then she decides to go full cougar cheetah. That's a joke, but yeah. not really. Yeah. Why? Oh, I have the sound bit here too. Only get one wish. But I, my dear, grant the wishes. So I take what I want in return. There's nothing in this world someone doesn't have. I'll rebuild my health wish by wish, organ by organ. If I have to, I'll be invincible. Tell me, what do you want? I'm feeling generous. I don't want to be like anyone anymore. I want to be number one. An apex predator. Like nothing there's ever been before. I like the way you think. So now Max can grant wishes whenever he feels like it, essentially. So they're going to renounce the first wish, right? I guess, So you can become a cat. Which essentially is the same skill set, except she's just furrier. Mm -hmm. That seems like a raw deal. (laughs) It does seem like a raw deal. And again, Max just wants to reclaim his health. So we've gone from aspiring oil magnate to wanton father to, I just like to be healthy again. And so you're right. He, it changes in every scene that he's in his motivation. And at this point, as much as I thought there was some potential for Maxwell Lord, I don't know if I care anymore. Yeah. That's the truth. It's just too big now. So who I do kind of care a little bit about, because I think she's been developed a little bit, is Kristen Wiig as the cheetah. Okay. And then this is about to go off the rails, too. (laughs) Just do it. Let's get to the island. We're on the island. We have the showdown between Wonder Woman in her gold armor granted to her by Linda Carter, who we're going to see at the very end of the film, who was a previous goddess or warrior on Themyscira. And she shows up for her showdown with the cheetah. Okay, this is such... An obvious mistake. Cheetahs express their speed on what? Land. Thank you. Instead, this fight happens in the air and in the water. Who in the hell? I don't know. Granted the writers the ability to have a cheetah fight a goddess in the water. And that's preceded by... A swinging around on power cables, five minute bullshit. Did uh, did the look do anything for you? She looked okay. Yeah, she looked okay. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. Was like, man, that's gonna look ridiculous. And like the close ups, it was all right. But when it was bouncing around, ugh, I, I tune out to stuff like that. Why would you said like if you had cowboys shooting each other in space? Okay, that works cowboys because on um, jet ski. <laughs> that works because a. Uh, uh, you know, science fiction is essentially a Western in space. So there's even cool ways that you can do that. But to take the cheetah and turn her into water cheetah is so dumb. Can we also say too, that like the cheetahs is kind of essentially her arch nemesis in wonder woman lore. I mean, that's like the closest to her Joker and Lex Luthor that she's going to (laughs) get. God. Yes. And it feels anticlimactic at the end of the day, their confrontation. She doesn't even kill her. Uh, she just shocks her out of her wish yeah. back to normal. Shock you out of your wish. 
Because Barbara is going to return back to Barbara Minerva. Yeah. But she never renounces her wish. So do you want to break that bit down? So like what Maxwell Lord is and then how Diana comes in and tells all of society to not be greedy and give up their wishes. Do well, you want to play I, this out? I have a sound for it, but it's, it's also the twofer sound that I have. So yeah, Max has reached this global satellite that's going to allow him to broadcast and he's granting wishes left and right. And the world's essentially going to chaos. So uh, Diana comes in, Wonder Woman, and lassos his foot, unbeknownst to him, and is kind of speaking vicariously through the lasso, I imagine, and <sighs> kind of tells him to renounce your wish, Max, because this isn't you, this isn't what you want, and it's costing the world a great deal, but I, I do have a little bit of sound for that. Matt, pay attention to the music. The truth is enough. The truth is beautiful. So look at this world and look at what your wish is costing it. You must be the hero. Only you can save the day. Renounce your wish if you want to save this world. Why would I? When it's finally my turn! To me! You can't stop me! No one can! I wasn't talking to you. Okay, Matt. You got that in your head? Yeah. In your ear? Yep. We've heard this before. DC movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's worse, man. The recycling of the music or a name or a wishing rock being the crux of your story. To what you just said, I echo that sentiment completely. <laughs> F you DC movies. Brute shame are they, on them. Are they trying to draw a parallel to the lies? Maybe. I don't How did you come to that? Did you just <clears throat> pick that up on your own? No, I picked up a, the, on the music cue when I when really? I watched the movie. I was like, I've heard that music before. Like, and brother, you have a gift in that space. You are so good at that. The musical ear, so you do. And then, uh, or is it like, are we are we trying to show crucial crucial moments that we're going to draw back to at some point in these times? And it's the Martha bit, and then this bit. I don't even know, and I don't know why you would even use that same track again. But it makes me think of that scene and how much I hate it, and it just. <laughs> Further shows how ridiculous this sequence kind of is. The lasso has infinite, it not only tells the truth, but it shows you glimpses of the future and it also, or glimpses of the past because she shows Steve the sequence you talked about with Linda Carter fighting off the army of 300 and Gerard Butler soldiers, whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. But it can also self project thought through another individual through a video screen. So at this point, are we sure we don't want it to make snow cones as well? Yeah, I don't know. It does everything you need it to do. Another problem with this film is they have established zero rules for the things used in there. And I think that that, that like magical and fantastical things can work, but 
I think they only work better when you understand how they work. I think they, they can't just be the end all. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. And they work better with heroes. Like that works with Doctor Strange. Is Wonder Woman the kind of hero that we want magical with? Is Themis, I mean, there's an element, right? I guess it's it's hidden. Is magic different than demigod? To me, yes. Yeah. And you don't need it. And then you throw Green Lantern in there, and now you have space cosmic god. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I just, they don't have such a grasp on on the mythology. They're just so fast and loose with, with everything. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And that, that is a problem with superhero films. I'm sure I'm going to get crucified on the socials for this because I don't know. But I have spent some time with Wonder Woman in my past. Mm-hmm. Red, I do not know of her ever being able to fly. <clears throat> do you know of Wonder Woman having the ability to fly? Well, she wasn't really, she was just falling. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Gliding. But and no, the reason no, I would say no. that is because of the invisible jet. I can't think of any cartoon or comic. And much like yourself, I've read some, but not all. Um, I don't recall that. Like when she had her hand outstretched, I was like, well, now she's Superman. Now. Right. And we don't want to be Superman. What made you so interesting was that you were different than Superman because we already dislike Superman because he's too good. And you've just wasted all the time to establish the invisible jet as well. You made it insignificant. So the mo- Which it was barely significant yeah, it was to very, begin with. That was with. a ridiculous scene, too. So the movie's almost over. Uh, it, it the, Every wish is renounced. Max is, has reunites with his son. I guess Barbara lives and is back to Barbara. Right. But never renounced her wish. She didn't. Yeah. She, yeah, she didn't. What, which one? The cat wish? Well, see, that's a... So here's one... I thought, I thought she renounced the wish in the jet to become the apex predator, so she couldn't be beautiful. So you brought up something that was interesting to me, and I hadn't thought about that. Did she have to renounce super-powered, fast Barbara to become Cheetah? I think she did. Okay, but regardless then, she doesn't renounce the secondary witch, which would be furry Cheetah, to go back to Barbara. I know. Now, if the wishes were stacked... And that is powerful, and then cheetah. That's interesting. And then she just has to give up the cheetah. Then she still retains those other first. And I let's hope I'm gonna we, please. I'm giving you an out, DC. Listen, we can come back to that. It's yours for free. Yeah, we can just have stacked wishes because at this point there's no rules anyway. Who cares? At least then you've established a villain that we can build upon. Right. Yeah. So don't throw, don't, don't I, throw it away. You know what I mean. Because there's very, very few salvageable pieces left at this point in the film. Maybe that's why they did it. But we wrap up at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> and she re- she meets yes. the Steve Trevor uh, symbiote. The <laughs> body double. The body double, finally. And he's kind of dressed kind of like how he was. So that's what made me think there was two consciences in him. Because that man wouldn't wear the exact same outfit unless he had some memory of it. <laughs> that's a good point. You're right. Because his had- selection of clothes were terrible. Yeah. That the original, the original body that Steve, like the real, not Steve Trevor, yeah, not Steve Trevor, exactly. And like it looks like his name's Greg, so we'll call him Greg. And what also kills me, and it kind of goes back into my sour mash of her finding different love, was they kind of hit it off, and it's nice and it's different, and I, I like nice and different in, in movies. Yeah. So that that could have been something that that worked well. Instead, the movie ends. <laughs> And we get the Linda Carter bit. I, here's another thing. DC does not know how to do the end credit sequence. Nope. None of their films have really tried to do an end credit that... Do you remember the beatboxing Caterpillar in Shazam? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marvel is so good at teasing what's to come and giving you little breadcrumbs as you come along. And some of them suck. Like the Howard the Duck one's lame and uh, uh, Tony getting therapy from Banner at the end of Iron Man 3. That's maybe the worst one, actually. Mm-hmm. But so they lead to a grander good. And man, all of DC's scenes don't point to anything. They're just like literal throwaways. Yep. Yeah. That, that's More what, of the same. And that's what that's, that scene is. So... Do we want to see the reemergence of the woman that was the originator of Wonder Woman's gold armor that she shed as quickly as she showed up with it prior to her battle with Cheetah? The wing pieces got dis- discarded quicker than you can say boo. No. It's, I, gr- it's great that you showed Linda Carter, and we all get it, and I appreciate Linda Carter. My adolescent self loved her to pieces, <laughs> right? But I know... Can I sour mash the DC end credit sequence? Why not? Well, their their big problem was that they did Justice League too soon, so there was really nothing to build to. But their end credit sequences should have taken the opposite approach as Marvel's did, and they should have been the villains coming together. It should have been Luther Justice or uh, Hall of Justice Legion, or of, Doom. Legion of Doom. I mean, it yeah. should have been like yeah, Ooh. Cheetah going and finding Luther, or Black Manta like finding Good. him, and they just kind of piece one per movie until you've got this unit that they fight in the Justice League movie. Why not? Why not? It's, it's too late now. <laughs> they, it's really they too ruined late. all of it. It's a good point. Yeah, I love that. Good. Yeah, they should have done that. I want to talk more about the state of DC films and how they've botched it and what their future plans are and the standalones, the multiverses, and everything in the pipe that makes next to no sense, but not today. We're going to save that for the Zack Snyder Justice League cast that we're going to do because we'll talk about that 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 then because that seems more apt for that conversation. It might be a shot prior to that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the status of... The DC Extended Universe, which it's just so iffy. Well, let me ask you a question real quick. Is the next thing slated for release, that Zack Snyder reimagining of Justice League? Yes. That's the next thing, That's right? the next DC film yeah. proper. And then the only next one I think is that's in production is the Pattinson Batman film, which is uh, it's, its own thing. It doesn't have any ties to anything else. Bounced which, back, though, right, to 2022 now. 2022, yeah. So this... This was it for DC is Snyder Justice League. So we'll see. I have one more question for you and then a whole slew of other questions I want to ask you. Or it's not even a question. It's just a, it's just a statement. Uh, but Pedro Pascal uh, was actually in, do you remember back in the early 2000s, they tried to do Wonder Woman on NBC uh, with Adriana Pilecki. And it, they only shot the pilot and that never aired because that was even terrible. Mm-hmm. But he was in it. Really? Yeah, he was in the pilot. So oh, I didn't know that's that. That's a nice come around for him. Hmm. That guy's like ready to blow up. Well, he's got his hands full with Favreau and the Mandalorian right now. Too. I guess they're at each other's throats. Yeah. And he may not be back from but, what I read. But between his exposure in Star Wars and now in this, like that guy's like another roll away from like being like in everything. <laughs> yeah, it's close. So uh, what's your favorite tasting note, favorite sequence of Wonder Woman 1984? I'll go first. I've already said it multiple times. It's the beginning of the movie, which again, as everything as we spent a good 15 minutes talking about the, how that plays out and it doesn't pay off into the rest of the film, which is just kind of such a damn shame because it is an exciting little sequence. So that's my favorite. I might go with the Maxwell Lord flashback bit. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, watching him with all of that ambition outside of his just newly established office that's going to be some oil distribution company or something. 
Black Gold, right? Black Gold mm-hmm. is pretty good. Yeah. They tried unsuccessfully through no fault of the film or the acting, but just, I think, mostly the pacing. Do you think they waited too long to roll out that montage? Yeah. Do you think they should have shown it like the second he stepped back into his office? Yes. Because then we're humanizing with him early, early on instead of at the end of the movie. Right. That's the the pacing piece. If that's some point earlier on in the film, then yes. Especially if he's trying to make right with his son, then it makes that plight all the more important because you recognize how this guy has been dismissed his whole time. Let's see if we have this fav- uh, the same one for this one. What's the oh my God! moment of Wonder Woman 1984? Mine has to be the Steve Trevor metamorphosis. Why he went into another man's body is ridiculous. And to not be able to come up with just him just being... Steve Trevor again is stupid. This film doesn't it's not playing fast and loose with the rules of magic and fantasy. <laughs> and they decided to like, no, that's too ridiculous. He's got to go into another man. <laughs> the wishing rock, but this is too ridiculous. No, we actually stopped the film and I looked at my wife and said, what happened to that guy? So yes, it's the same, same for both of us. Okay. Stupid. Yeah. Really bad filmmaking. Who's the master distiller on wonder woman, 1984. I guess Pascal's passable. He's, he's okay. Um, He's fun when he's doing the villainy things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's good because I thought about that one too. You're going to take Zimmer, I know. So I'm, I'll go with Pedro Pascal. And I don't even have anything against Gal Gadot. This movie is just really bad. So it's hard for me to say this movie that I'm about to murder in the ratings. The title character's performance gets the... It's got to be... I. And I mean barely. Well, part of it's not even they, they chose to Pascal, so they chose they chose to keep her not doing Wonder Woman things for de- near nearly an hour of the film, right? Yeah, it's a big problem. And then when she does do Wonder Woman things, they're not very good. Yeah, yeah, mine Zimmer. This is it's a, this man is just cursed sometimes when he does these. Like sometimes he'll get to do like a Nolan Batman film and. The film deserves the good music, but then he gets to do Man of Steel, this, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and turn out amazing scores for films that don't deserve the music that he puts out for it. It's fair. Like, I feel like he's putting out more effort in that than anyone put into any thought in the on the page. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic for me. But I love Zimmer. He's one of my favorite composers. No arguments for me on that. He's going to play us out uh, to the nightcap. So, yes. I, how are you going to rate and grade Wonder Woman 84? So just to kind of catch up our any new listeners, old listeners, our rating system is built around bourbon, much like this bourbon here. We have Rock Gut is kind of our zero to one star, uh, well, call, single barrel, and top shelf. And top shelf's your high ranking. Where are you going to go with this one? Rock Gut Plus. Oh, okay. So it's not so wildly, wildly undrinkable <clears throat> that I'm going to vomit, but... With enough Coke and lemon or lime, I guess I can make a Cuba Libre. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's something. Look, Gal Gadot's fun to watch. There are a couple of moments. The score's pretty good. That opening bit's all right. There are some times where Kristen Wiig's Cheetah is passable, and outside of that, there's not a lot more that I can say this worked in this film. It's mostly a disaster. I was really glad it was over. And in the context of the shot that you and I... We have to put that on a on a t-shirt one of these days. Just a picture of Matt with a glass saying, I was glad when it was over. You've said it so many times. <laughs> have I? 
But th- that's that has to be a testament to just how the film worked for you. It's just it's something that was arduous to get through and something that you're not looking forward to ever revisiting. Yeah, I've said this before, too. And had it not been for the show, I wouldn't have continued. We'll put that on the other shirt. <laughs> on the back. <laughs> on the back. That's good. Um, I feel you. Yeah. I wanted this one. Matt, the poster's hanging up in my living room right now. Yeah. It's a great image. And... I wanted this to be a winner. DC needed this to be a winner. And like the whole financial piece, and we did a shot on that, like what that looks like is so questionable. Uh, they needed this one to to work. And th- the first film is a masterpiece compared to this one. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's just a shame. I'm going to go well, just kind of regular well whiskey. It's not the worst thing that DC Extended Universe has put out. And we're going to kind of get into that coming up here. It's nowhere near as bad as the slate of those films, but maybe it just says the quality that of films that they're churning out. It's just, man, not up to par. And they just don't have a, a captain running the ship, which is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just, well, it's, well, maybe I'll watch it again years from now, but I'd much rather watch that first film. And that was interesting because it gave us a glimpse into her world and then World War One, which isn't a played-out war in cinema, which was nice. And... It was, and it's not really interesting. And the, the love story works really well too. So if we have six acts now on Wonder Woman, three in the first film and three in this film, mm-hmm. do you agree with this statement? Four of the six are not good. Yeah. Acts one and two of Wonder Woman are great. It's, they fell apart in the third one. Warner Brothers wanted bigger for the finale. So that's they what they bigger. got. That's what they got. And ruined it. You told me something interesting this week, and that was that Patty Jenkins was sort of forced to redo that film a little bit more expansive than she wanted in the third yeah, act. Yeah, the third act, yeah. Aries and all that nonsense. This is suffering from the same thing. I don't know if she was told, but I don't believe that at inception, mm-hmm. this was all one story that plant, that panned out this way. This was several ideas sort of smashed together and made work. Is that Jeff Johns? I think so. Uh, he could be the Feige-esque person of the ship, but maybe that guy is only, I wrote a couple good Green Lantern stories, and that's my claim to fame. He needs to get his hands on the Flash, because he did a really good job with that, too, but, man, who knows about that and where that's at as well. I can't wait to talk about that movie one of these days. It's going to be Mul- multiverse flashes all showing up at the same time. No, not multiverse flashes. And Batman. Multiverse Batmans. They're getting all the Batman together. Yeah. All right, Matt. Cheers. Cheers to your rating. Cheers to <laughs> watch it again. Never, if you if you if you so desire. <laughs> so let's get to our nightcap. Zimmer's just so good at making things feel so grandiose and heroic. I mean, you take his scores back all the way to like the Lion King and like the circle of life music and all like he, that that's him. Like he created all of that. Like the guy's amazing. Mm -hmm. Gladiator, all those films. All right. We're going to do a bit of a ranking here in our nightcap. There have been nine DC extended universe films thus far. So the one that's not being included because it's its own thing is Joker is kind of not a part of this cohesive universe. So, Matt, just rank them down for me. Nine to one, the DC Extended Universe of Films. We go nine, nine, eight, eight, seven. No, just seven. Go, go through all of them. 
Okay, so nine is Batman versus Superman. Eight. It's probably Justice League. These are all really close, so seven would be Man of Steel. Six is probably Aquaman. This is probably Wonder Woman 84 is probably five. Suicide Squad. Three would probably be Birds of Prey. Suicide Squad would be two, and I'm going to have to give well, you. Shazam. You already did. I'm Suicide. sorry. Um, Wonder Woman. Sorry, the the first Wonder Woman would be number two. Okay, and I'm probably going to go with Shazam oh, at number okay. one. Interesting. Yeah, that film compared to these other ones just wasn't as bad compared. And mm-hmm. It was kind of nice to see that character compared. Well, he's essentially Superman, but whatever. Number nine for me, Suicide Squad. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's it be- belongs at the bottom of the barrel. Then Justice League, eight. Seven, Batman versus Superman. But like you said, it's all kind of the same down there at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nine, eight, seven. Number six, Wonder Woman 84. Number five, Man of Steel, which gets a lot of a lot of heat, but I don't know if it's, it's that one's as bad as some of these other ones. Like, it got a whole lot worse. Number, <laughs> yeah, what, what an endorsement. Mm-hmm. Number four, Aquaman. Again, that film's very questionable in its own regard, and it's number four. Number three is Wonder Woman. Number two, Shazam. And number one, Birds of Prey. I really liked Birds of Prey. I thought it was a unique look into Gotham. I like that they went a nice kind of hard, violent R with Harley Quinn's antics. And she's great at that character. Just as good as Gal Gadot is at, at, at Wonder Woman. And it was a nice slice of Gotham that we don't get in the Batman movies. So that's my number one. And it was fun. It was fun. These films should be fun at the end of the day. I would make the same argument for Shazam for me. Yeah. It didn't take itself so seriously that every scene is this rot drama, heavy, dripping with conflict, weigh you down. That movie has enough levity in there to where when it's serious, it matters. And there are plenty of moments, but it's fun. It, I, I didn't come out feeling like I needed some therapy. That's why I'm really looking forward to James Gunn's take on the Suicide Squad because he does have that mm-hmm. kind of tongue-in-cheek sen- sentiment while making superhero films. What'll be telling is if that's not in that film, it'll speak a lot to the powers that are writing or driving the forces at Warner Brothers and DC, won't it? Well, the, what I read today, it's like, and this news changes all the time, but I heard that film is hard R. So well, there's that. So yeah. that's not that speaks to what we don't like then, Jesse. Yeah. Why is that movie harder? That should be PG-13 max. Yeah. Maybe they're just going to have a little fun with it. But if if it's not there, you're right. If it's not there, we'll kind of see our the hands being played. So, Oh, my gosh. I yearn for the idea that you pitched, which is the post-credit sequences developing the Legion of Doom. Yeah, that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. It would have been cool to see Luther walk up to Black Manta's shack to say, hey, I'm putting a thing together. Kind of sounds like Iron Man. <laughs> It's the opposite of that. It's instead of putting the heroes together, let's put the villains together. Mm-hmm. We're going to team up first. Yep. Ah, what a what a mess. Hire us. We're, we'll drop everything to come be the spearheaders of your ship. That's right. <laughs> it might not be salvageable at this point. It, it might be just so far where you just have to hard reboot everything. Like, how could you fix it at this point? The story is just so convoluted. Yeah. So uh, there is that. That's Wonder Woman 1984 from two weeks ago. <laughs> Or one week ago. Where Chris. would you put Green Lantern in that? Well, since Green Lantern's before they... So Man of Steel's the first inception of this universe. So Green Lantern's its own thing. That movie's bad too. Is it bad enough to be like 10, 9, or 8? That's probably somewhere between like 4 and 6, right? Eh, I might give it a 7 or an 8. 
Really? It's that bad for you? Ryan Reynolds is really good as Deadpool. I don't know if he's good as Hal Jordan because he's essentially doing Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan. Yeah. That's a bit of a misstep for me. The, the whole Green Lantern thing could be really cool, I think, uh, if they just found an interesting way to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of misses they've had. One of the people that they had making good movies for them was one Mr. Christopher Nolan turning out some interesting Batman tales, hearkening back to Batman Year One and The Long Halloween and making an, a unique take for The Dark Knight. And he's the guy we're going to be talking about next week. So right, so right Nation, we're going to be covering next week from early this summer, Tenant, which was the, the, the big budget release that we had been building up to. It almost made my anticipated list. I think I had picked Dune last year, and then Dune, Dune never came out, and it's still my favorite going into this year. But we're going to do something different on Rice Smile Films. So I think we're, this episode is going to be Tenant Explained. <laughs> Yeah, and we're not going to get into the weeds on the production and talk about Nolan because I'd like to save that for another episode and kind of talk about him as a filmmaker and that on another on another day. So we're just going to try and like get in the weeds with this film and try and explain exactly what's happening because as we both kind of watched and said, this is a toughie. <laughs> this is a tough one. This is an ambitious episode next week. We and, haven't done this. And it's so tough in regard that we need help. So mm-hmm. coming on, he came on board with Ghost uh, for Ghost Story and for The Rise of Skywalker. We're going to have our our buddy Nate join us because Nate's Nate's a Nolan aficionado and he he's good at help helping to decipher these plots. So I think Nate came on for The Exorcist, didn't he? No, no, no. Because Rob came on for Ghost Story. No, Rob came on for The Omen. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Okay. We had Rob for The Omen, Mark for uh, Texas Chainsaw, Nate came on for Ghost Story. Nate's the resident expert in all things science fiction, and boy, we need that help next week. Yeah. So it's going to it's oh, quite a film. It's going to be fun. It's, yeah, it'll be fun to get in less in the weeds on these aspects of the thing, unless like we're just literally going to create a timeline on a blackboard, and that's going to be the episode. So, yeah, that's going to be a trip. So it'll it'll be a trip. That'll that'll be that. So we have that coming for you next week. Are we gonna even? Are we still gonna rank it though at the end? I've thought about that. I think so. Okay, we can still go through the. You breakdown mean and, you mean give it a rating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess we can do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Since we're not like it's not going to be a criticism episode more so than it is an explanation episode. Yeah, yeah, we can, we can, yeah, we can still rate it how 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 we kind of see. Takes three minutes. Kind of how we see fit. So you got that coming to you next week. So cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. Um, I've been having some stomach issues lately, and it might be because I've been watching Wonder Woman 84 too much. So uh, the episode's out. I don't have to watch it anymore. I'm going to raise one to the first failure out of the box for the video on demand circuit. This movie has not been received well from what I've read online. I don't have a, a quick one-liner quip on the way out. I'm just glad that as 2021 kicks off, we have a huge swing and a miss out of the box on this. And I'm almost wondering, Jesse, if this went to VOD because they saw what was coming. Do you want me to throw a wrench into your into your what you just said? Yeah. So well, not well received because check the ratings on this. It's kind of all over the place. The most downloaded video yeah. on demand film of the year. So. I think people were looking forward to seeing that, but hopefully, yeah, they see the, maybe the quality won't equal the product, so. I'm curious, the captive audience on Christmas, right? They had nothing else to watch, and it's been a long time since most people have that, seen anything. And that was probably it, yeah. What the rewatches look like going forward. Well, I've had to rewatch a little bit to prepare, so. <laughs> yeah. 
We'll see. And we're going to see you next week. Next week's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun next week. Next so, week will be fun. So we'll see you then. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to leave us some comments or some feedback, hit us up on any of our social media platforms or at Productions at gmail.com. Wonder Woman 1984 is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, DC Films, Atlas Entertainment, and The Stone Quarry. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Excuse me, excuse me, please. You have to let me thank you, Miss. Asteria. Asteria, wow. That's a beautiful name. It's from my culture. I can't thank you enough. I mean, you saved my daughter. How did you do that? It's just a simple shift of weight. Takes practice. But I've been doing this a long time.